0: What's better than one oncologist? Two. What's better than one oncologist?
1: Two. What is better than one oncologist? Two. Hi, I'm Dr. Finyifolu Balogun.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Oninye Balogun. We We are are the OncDocs. Cancer is rising worldwide. And it's nearly impossible to find someone who has not been affected by this
1: disease. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the stories of those affected by cancer and educating the general public about this disease.
0: In this episode we speak with Suzette Simon. Suzette is a New York based comedian, producer and founder of NY Laughs, a nonprofit that produces free comedy programming in public spaces. Suzette aims to raise awareness about disparities and offer information and community to other women of color. She is also engaged in supporting research and she makes videos about her experience on social media through her accounts at Strong Black Boobs.
2: All right so first of all I just want to say I want people to know that I'm a comedy producer and I use comedy to advocate for breast health. So whatever I say please don't take offense I'm coming from a place of love And it's also a coping mechanism for my experiences with breast cancer and I just wanted to make that clear. Thank you, Dr. Balogon, for inviting me. So I'm a comedy producer, I'm an activist, and I'm a founder of the comedy nonprofit In My Laughs. That's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. It's a passion project outside of my work in television. And um, and NY Last has produced what we do is we produce free stand-up comedy performances in public spaces to enrich New York lives and, and, and advance the art of stand-up as a unique cultural asset. In early January of 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in my right breast. By the end of the year, I had gotten new boobs, a new look due to chemo and radiation, and found a new purpose and passion after learning that black women with breast cancer according to the CDC and according to the Institute of Health, have a 40% higher mortality rate than white women. So that's an alarming stat and it's just one of the long list of breast cancer disparities. Now I've become an advocate on breast health and I've been producing these humor-filled health awareness PSAs that not only target communities of color, but I'm hoping speak to all women since one in eight women in the US will be diagnosed with cancer. So I now consider myself the self-appointed master of cancer badassery. <laughs> My mom passed away with breast cancer 30 years ago. She had no insurance. She was left dying on a hospital gurney in a crowded hallway of a public hospital because there were no rooms for her. And, and the thing is, like when I walked away for a moment, someone had taken her wig. And it wasn't a wig at that point. It was like a Chewbacca toupee. And I was like, damn. Are people that desperate for weaves in Brooklyn? So when I think of what my mom endured and all the health statistics among Black women, the Black community, I take pride in being a cancer badass. And I'm hoping that being a cancer badass might shake things up and change outcomes. Because of my mom's experience, I was really diligent about my health and getting yearly mammograms. So I got one in December on December 31st, 2019 and rang in the new year in 2020 with my cancer diagnosis. So that's when my life blew up. you know. So I was diagnosed in January 2020 with stage 1B, stage 2, HER2, ER, estrogen-receptive positive breast cancer. And I couldn't stop apologizing to my mom because I thought I was taking care of myself through yearly mammograms. But the thing is, I wasn't doing breast self-exams. And, you know, so 2020 gave me the 2020 on the importance, women, of breast self-exams. It's so important to feel yourself. So, um, yeah, and, and so when I was diagnosed because of my mom's experience, I went to several doctors for second opinions because I had insurance and I wasn't going to let what happened to my mom happen to me. I didn't want my mom's experience. So I went to five hospitals, five breast surgeons, six plastic surgeons, three radiologists, two oncologists, and a partridge and a pear tree. Because I knew that there were inequities in healthcare and I was looking for and I was I was looking for doctors of color too. But it was a mad rush because I got diagnosed just before the ER shut down due to COVID. So I was rushing around and rushing around and um, you know, and I found a team. Um but I was again I was always searching for like for doctors of color. And in and, and you know, throughout the process, I became a fangirl of you. I became a fangirl of Kathy and Joseph's at um, Bellevue. So um, so yeah, so um, but I found you guys later along my search. So um, but one funny story is like through all the searching, and I again I don't mean any disrespect to the doctors that I've I've seen, but you know, one doctor told me, um, one breast surgeon told me that um that I had an old lady's cancer. And I was like, what does that mean? Does it mean that it's not aggressive? It's curable, and I'll look great in turquoise, or uh, or does it mean that it's going to call the cops on me? I was like, what are good cancers? I mean, I mean, my family didn't have cancer in it. My mom was the first person to have cancer, and um, and I tried actually after I I found that I had cancer. I tried to figure out like what her cancer was, but New York hospitals are allowed to destroy records after seven years. So my mom died 30 years ago. So I really had nothing to go off of. And my mom's breast cancer turned metastatic after five years. So she had had, um, when she was first diagnosed, she had a unilateral mastectomy. So she was essentially flat on one side. And on the other, she had a boob that drooped long enough to be used for a hacky sack practice. At that time too, I mean, this is another thing is that like, I don't think that there was any, I know that there's a push now for when you have uh, mastectomies to, to be able to have reconstructive surgery, I really don't think that that was something that was mandated at that time. I kind of feel like that like kind of played into my mom's self-esteem, but you know, I think for black women, you know black mothers, they just keep keep it going, keep it moving. Um, and I think you know, as a single mom too, she you know she was divorced at that time. It might have been really scary since she didn't have insurance but um but you know, sometimes I would catch her like maybe standing a little bit longer in front of the microwave. Trying to get her dose of radiation and cook dinner. (laughs) But um, but yeah, but um, but yeah, so five years later it recurred and, and that's what took her life. Um and um as far as uh like now having cancer, I think you know, this health issue is really motivating me to get a lot of stuff done, you know, and I'm I'm so super busy now. I mean, I feel like I feel like it's not going to be cancer that kills me. It's going to be the cancer advocacy because I'm just so busy right now. Like my nonprofit too is beginning to like have some like some great forward steps. I mean, we got to present shows at Lincoln Center this summer. So, um, so like, so I guess now with cancer, like I've become really, really focused on time spans. You know, again, like with my mom dying after five years. I mean, I've asked myself, like. What would I do if I had five years left to live? And um, you know, I think everyone has a five-year plan. You know, before this, you know, mine was only just to renew my lease, but um, but now it's trying not to die of cancer. So, but you know, right now I'm 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 dealing with a lot of side effects of the medication that I'm on—the anti-estrogen, the estrogen suppressant medication. You know, there's neuropathy. There's stiffness arthritis you know i basically i sit down like a senior and i get up like a toddler and i'm doing everything to try to combat it you know pilates i'm like you know yoga i'm i'm doing water aerobics so um yeah it's like i you know you know i set up all my my water rate weights i you know i i turn the pool into at my gym into like the like you've heard of a man cave i turn into like a boob cave uh you know um i like line up all my my weights and, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working on that black boot magic with my weights and stuff like that. And so, um, so yes, yeah, so I'm dealing with a lot of, um, a, a lot of side effects. I lost my eyelashes. I mean, my chemo experience was pretty good. I mean, it was like kind of stellar. I mean, I only had, I had four sessions. Like my chemo was so quick. It was anywhere from like 90 minutes to two hours. Like, like I didn't even have time to get my Starbucks order. It was just so quick. So so, my whole chemo experience was pretty went pretty well. And then, and the loss of hair, I wasn't so upset about the loss of hair because I was kind of at an impasse anyway with my hair I was like, should I cut it off? And so so, chemo just kind of like like took all that out of my hands. and I was also sort of looking forward because I've heard that like sometimes your texture changes. sort of I'm looking forward to like this new texture. But the estrogen suppressant that I'm on. It gave, it's giving me male pattern baldness and I've never been more embarrassed in my life. I wasn't embarrassed like being bald. I was like, hey, you know, like, but like the male pattern baldness, now that's really got me like, like really down. So, so, so my, my best Christmas present ever was like six cans of minoxidil. (laughs) Like, and it's great. Like it's filled in the, um, all the the bald areas and it's giving me like baby hair because i mean like what black woman wants to live without edges like it just doesn't happen it just doesn't happen who wants to live without their edges so um so yeah so now i'm getting those back through um, minoxidil you know but i've got like this five-year time frame and and part of it is because of you know my mom died five years after her surgery and and so, and this this hormone blocking medication is supposedly a five year deal. Although my oncologist like sort of slipped it and in, slipped in like, well, maybe ten, maybe fifteen, maybe the rest of your life. <laughs> so, so like because of it, like my priorities have changed. They've realigned. I mean, like yeah, laughter is like, become like a relevant part of my healing process and in healing those around me. So, um, so when I'm not fatigued, and you know, I, it kind of comes and goes. I'm creating these comedy videos under the hashtag Strong Black Boobs, which my my sister hates them. <laughs> she hates them, uh, I guess, because of the way they're just really kind of provocative. But the thing is like, it's out of homage to my mom. For me, my tits, right? And I, I've called them, I actually named them, I've called them Venus and Serena after my bilateral mastectomy um, for their courage because they're not twins, they're sisters, right? They're champs, you know? And Serena was the one with the cancer. So she is especially GOAT, you know, G-O-A-T. You know what that means, right? The greatest of all titties. (laughs) So my sister hates that. She thinks that's disrespectful. But the one thing that we agree on is that nothing is changing. Things are getting worse for Black women. So someone's got to be provocative. Mortality rates for women of color when my mom died in 1990 was 17%. Now that's more than doubled, you know? So really, sis, really. So strong black boobs is more than comedy vid- videos. It's a call to action because black women are with breast cancer are dying younger with a death rate that is higher than white women. You know, I know forty two percent, forty percent, forty two percent sounds bad. So, uh, so I'm keeping going. So strong black boobs is my black girl magic. I call it black boob magic because it's about health advocacy for communities of color. If I had testicle cancer, I would go out there and I would start a, a movement called Strong Black Balls. I mean, Al Roker had cancer and I tweeted at him to start an awareness campaign called Strong Black Prostates. So I never heard back. I think he missed an opportunity. So yeah, so Strong Black Strong Black Boobs is about, about advocacy. I mean, it's meant to grab attention um, and it may sound silly, but just look at what Tyler Perry morphed a silly caricature character named Medea into. So it has to start somewhere, you know, and this is the way, my way of doing it. You know, um, I want to be a catalyst for change. I really want to have a positive impact on this world. Through all of this, I think what I've learned more than anything is, um, is breast self exams. That's right. Feel yourself, ladies. So I want to start doing videos about that, like just doing breast self exams um, in all sort of unique, fun ways. Um, I'm reaching out to different people to collaborate with. I'm doing breast self exams. I also do something I call titty protesting in Times Square where I go out with signs like, um, yes, ma'am, mammogram. Or on Halloween, I went out with a sign that says, yeah, mammograms aren't scary. That's where it comes full circle for me um, is about trying to like, just make sure that Like not another Black woman needs to die needlessly. And it's ravaging the Black community that we don't know. When they think of cancer, breast cancer, they think of it as a white disease. And they really don't know how high the mortality numbers are for um, women of color. So that's what I'm I'm doing, Dr. Baladon. And I thank you for everything that you do, all of your hero work out there to save Black lives. And um, yeah, I'm really, really honored to be part of this.
0: You are hilarious. (laughs) You're hilarious. Um, Did you end up getting genetic testing?
2: Yeah, I did get genetic testing and there isn't any connection, but they, they don't know all of the gene. Like there are still so much testing to be done. So maybe in the future, there might be some sort of connection. But right now there's not with clinical trials and things like that is that a lot of this work has not been done on people of color. So all the genetic testing, you know, like, you know, were there people involved of color? A lot of Blacks are not involved in clinical trials. Like the numbers are so low. So we've been tested and there isn't any correlation. Who's who's to say down the line that there might be a gene that's found later on as more people of color get involved in in some of these test situations?
0: No, I I 100% agree with you uh, that it's... we need to have more Black people involved in these trials. I remember seeing that there was an approval for uh, a drug for triple negative breast cancer patients of whom an overwhelming percentage are Black and Hispanic. And the percent of Black women, they were the like least represented. And I just said, that is crazy. That is yeah. crazy. You ran a clinical trial on a subtype of breast cancer that's overwhelmingly, you know, in Black women, and you still could not recruit enough Black women, something needs to be done about that. How can you be confident, you know, that your results can be now extrapolated and extended to Black women? It's just the representation needs to improve. So I agree with you 110%. Um, one of the questions that I had for you was how did you discover your breast cancer?
2: That's the thing is like, I, I like, it's such a, a revelation to me. Breast self exams are so important. Like I, I just thought like doing my yearly mammogram was enough, but it's not because after I was diagnosed and that's when I felt the lump, I felt myself like, Oh yeah. I mean, I did have a lump. First I get my mammograms. They're like, Oh yeah, you go to your mammograms every year. Oh Yeah that's fine. You shouldn't have a problem. Like, it'll be like, you know, like, it'll be nothing. Right. And then they, you know, they took the, they biopsied it or whatever. Like, oh yeah, it's nothing. And they took a biopsy of the lymph node. Oh, nothing. Like we don't find anything. Like, it'll be fine. Like you go, you're, you're good. And then I, you know, get further testing and whatever. And then it's like, oh, you're stage 1B and, and your options are like either this lymphectomy or this mastectomy, you know, because of my mom's situation. I just like, I'll just do a um, a um bilateral. And and let that be that. And some doctors were trying to talk me out of the bilateral, but I was like, I, I just, I was like, I, I dealt with my mom's self esteem issues and stuff like that. I was like, I just want complete peace of mind in that regard, and um, I don't care about like the statistics of like you know the breast cancer recurrence. I'll just do a bilateral. And then they were like, okay, so they did the surgery and they're like, oh, you know, we did like we had four cancer and like four lymph nodes or whatever. So now it's like, we're thinking, um, we're thinking chemo. <laughs> it went from like nothing in your lymph nose. to like now, now it's better to do chemo. And that, um, you know, so, but like, but I went, but this is why I went to two oncologists because one oncologist was like, you know, she wasn't sure about like which chemo to do. And she was going to confer with her um, colleagues. And then she's like, okay, so I'll give you like one chemo, whatever. And it, you won't lose your hair. It's like AC or something. Like that. you're gonna do that, that thing. And then I went to another um oncologist and he was like, Well, what did they tell you? And he's like, Well, I can do that for you, but I would prefer to do like a stronger round of chemo. Um, you know, and you know, we'll see how you do it for and then we'll take it up to six. And I was like, Yeah, after again, after everything my mom went, I was like, just hit me with everything strong. And so and so after that was done. Then it's on to the radio. Like, I didn't know, again, it got escalated. Then I got radiation. So I didn't know any of this stuff was coming. And, you know, like at the very beginning, it was like, oh, you know, you, you that's the thing is like you do these mammograms like yearly, you're like, you walk away, that's all you need. But no, it, you also need to do breast self-exam. It's really, really important to be able to get this at the earlier. You can't, the most problems I'm having is like just with this anti-estrogen suppressant.
0: With the breast self-exam, I think it's interesting because your your story is not uncommon. People have cancers that pop up in between mammograms. You know, cancers grow at different rates. One of the top questions people will ask me is, "When did it start? Right? When did my cancer start?" And unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes their mammogram truly was clear. Sometimes it wasn't, and someone misread it. But Frequently, it may have been clear. And so some of the, um, you know, medical organizations or like, you know, the task forces that put together guidelines have said, oh, you know, breast self exams, not so much clinical exams, not so much needed. But these are the scenarios where I'm like, "Mm, mm, like, does it hurt? What does it hurt? a woman to like check her breasts monthly. You know what I mean? Especially so that we make sure we catch these kinds of scenarios. So, um, so one of the clarifying questions I had for you was, you said it was pretty much like most of it, fortunately for you was, a you know, um, pretty tolerable. It's just that the side effects, right. Um, have been a lot, Uh, so do you think, how, how have your doctors helped with the side effects? How, how, I know you said you use comedy as a coping mechanism. Um, do you think we need more attention to side effects and survivorship?
2: Yeah. Like I never, that's the thing is like, um, I never expected these, um, these side effects. I mean, I mean, you know, you get, you you get the drugs or whatever, and you get like, uh, you know, you can read and find out like what the side effects are. But I, I mean, like, I think the side effects to me are worse than, again, the, everything else that, that has happened along this journey. And, I, and I, I guess that's a question too, also about outcomes too, because like, even at the end of this, like, so I have my new breast, right? But I'm not exactly happy with my new breasts. Like, I love my plastic surgeon. And like, when I found that I had, I was going to do a bilateral mastectomy or whatever, I started trying to find like images and stuff like that on the web and they weren't very pretty. And, but like with COVID and everything, like now there's like this explosion of like so many people talking about their experiences because everybody was inside. So when I look at the work that my, my doctor did, I, I realized that there's a bit of artistry there that the scarring or whatever, the cuts or whatever are nice they're uniform that he did a great job. But the thing is like, there was no discussion of outcomes. And so I guess that's when you talk about like the medication and stuff like that, like you need to go in there with like questions, go on the web and and get questions. But don't go in there being your own doctor. Just go in there trying to educate yourself that you have a list of questions and that you are like aware of what the situation is. But one of the things that I never thought about was like, OK, so I have all these questions, but like never about the outcome. Okay, So you come in, you get refilled with my fake boobies or whatever, which I miss cause they had metal in them. And I, I never lost a post-it note cause I could just pop a magnet, my post-it note right on my breast. I would come in and get like them filled or whatever. And I was happy at one point with what size they were. And then we went through chemo and radiation. But then after that, I went to reconstructive surgery. And then the breasts I got were not the size. Like we never talked about size at the end of it. Like in my mind, I was happy with the, what the expanders were, but the expanders are not the same as implants. Implants hang differently. Now that I have radiation, I've had radiated breasts, it's harder because there's scar tissue to make any sort of changes. So, you know, and the doctor comes in, he's like, well, well give it two months and let's see what happens. Let's give it... And I'm not pressuring him. I was just a little disappointment on my end. In my cancer group, they felt doctors don't treat you the same way as a regular patient. If I had gone for like regular boobs, maybe this outcome thing would have been a little bit more plotted because we would know why I went there and what the outcome was. You know, my outcome was to get like size size C boobs. But because I'm a breast cancer patient, you know, the outcome is to get me healthy. The, The doctor's not thinking about my Tinder profile. The doctor's not thinking about my cleavage on Bumble. You know what I mean? The doctor's just thinking about like, let's get this girl healthy and, you know, back on, into the world so that's the kind of the thing is like the outcome thing is not discussed another bit of advice that i have for people is like make sure that you have your girl squad with you or other people are going in with you or if they can't go in with you to talk to the doctor make sure they're on the phone or if that can't happen just make sure you take your phone and you record stuff because you're not going to remember all of these conversations and things like that
0: No, I I absolutely hear you. I think both of the things, both of those aspects of the outcome have to be considerations. It's to get you healthy, but also like to make sure that you are whole, you know, emotionally, psychologically, that it's not just like, oh, the cancer is gone from the body. What else needs to be done to make sure that you're whole, right? So that's, that's, that's how I I completely agree with you that there needs to be communication to that end, not just, okay, got rid of the cancer, high five, yay for us, you know? When you go to the hospital, right, they ask you all these questions, like,
2: before your operation, they're like, you know, your name, rank, serial number, like, who? what's your name? What's your birthday? Why are you here? Where's being operated on? They ask you all these questions. But I did ask my doctor. I did email them, like, you know, like a couple of weeks before. I was like, so... I'm a comedian. I was like, so am I getting my double D's or whatever, my triple D's or whatever? And they were like, oh, no, no, no. I was like, well, what size am I getting? They were like, oh, you're going to get what fits, right? That was the answer. And I looked at the expanders that I had and I was like, okay, I'm fine with that. Right. The expanders, the expanders were crazy. They were like, those expanders were like, I mean, some people hate expanders, but I, I thought they were funny because they were like they made me feel like a Spartan in the movie Three Hundred, because they were basically like these huge like things that were like attached to your chest, and they basically protected you from everything. They kept you from doing a yoga pose or whatever. They kept you propped up, and they were great, you know. And like I said, they had like metal in them, and you know, you know, I felt like a war, like a Spartan warrior, you know. Um, so they were your breasties. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were my breasties, and so like <laughs> they were great, and so like. So when the, the nurse told me like, yeah, the doctor's going to give you what fits. I like, okay, I'll get this. But the thing is like, again, like they stood up high, but implants are a whole other story. They, you know, they're lower. I've got the pecs of like a teenage, um, like male lacrosse player or whatever. You know, I'm not, I don't have a bad body image, but again, it's not the image that I had in my mind. There's no anger. There's no nothing. It's just like, I just sort of, don't want this to happen to anyone else. You know, this could have been something like dealt with like all like throughout chemo. I could have been refilling. We could have been talking about this. Like, like now to find out through radiation that like after radiation that my breast got smaller. And even now, even with the replacement, it's still smaller. And I was like, this is not the way, <laughs> this is not the way life was supposed to be, like at the end of this. So at this point it's vanity. And it's like not, again, it's not me, but manage expectations.
0: What do you think your mom would have to say if she saw you and the work you're doing now?
2: I mean, I, I, I'm just hoping, I just feel like more of a connection to my mom ever so. And, and I actually feel really bad because thirty. I wasn't the same person 30 years ago. I mean, like, I don't think I was as supportive. I have a lot of guilt over that. I don't think I understood. I don't think I was supportive. I don't think it was a time when people talked about it. I don't I, I don't think my mom dealt with her feelings. I don't think she had any support. And so, um, so I, I just feel like, you know, I'm taking my mom's lesson, my mom's trauma and ordeal and journey. And I think her shame too. I think that there was probably a lot of shame that she dealt with. And um and I'm I'm like, I I just I mean, I think that it's her telling me to do this. You know what I mean? Like, I I think it's um, her yeah, her way of like you know um, yeah. I I just think I just feel like it's a calling from my mom.
0: What a phenomenal person Suzette is. I mean, to take the pain of seeing your mother die due to breast cancer in really terrible circumstances, and then to have to go through a breast cancer diagnosis yourself is unimaginable.
1: Truly it is. Truly. It's no words, no words for that. But it it does speak to one of those very important risk factors of family history.
0: Absolutely. So in terms of breast cancer, people often will ask us, what are the risk factors? Why did I get breast cancer? And even though we don't have All the answers, we do know that there are certain things that increase people's risk for breast cancer. The first is age. As you grow older, Mm -hmm. your risk of getting cancer becomes higher.
1: It's a risk factor we cannot modify. Exactly. It's one of those that we can't change anything about it, but we can keep a closer eye on screening, keep a closer eye on ourselves to catch the cancer early if it comes.
0: The other risk factor is a family history of breast cancer. So if you have a first degree relative, and what we mean by first degree is a mother, a sister that has had cancer, especially if they were less than 60 years old when they developed um, breast cancer.
1: I think of first degree as someone one step remote from you, like you're saying. In addition to mother, sister, daughter, people who are just one step away from you.
0: Okay, yeah. So another risk factor is not just your mothers or your daughters or your sisters um, or aunts or cousins who've had breast cancers. If you have a male relative who develops breast cancer, that is a big risk. signal to us that there may be something happening within your family because it is not common for men to develop breast cancer. And if they do, there's a good chance that they may have inherited a change in their DNA that puts them at a higher risk for, for breast cancer.
1: You know, one thing that really makes me emphasize the family risk factor is we we don't talk about what people died from a lot of times. A lot of times we don't know. We just say, oh, someone died you know, from something. Someone died from cancer, but we don't know which one. But knowing that information is important because it applies to us directly. In breast cancer and in other cancers, the risk factor of family history having cancer influences the schedule at which a screening takes place. But without that information, you miss out on that uh, ability to monitor yourself as appropriately as you should or to have the doctors monitor you as they should. So we should talk to our families, find out what grandma had, find out what parents had.
0: Precisely. And I think the important thing to note is that even if you do know um, the family history and and that someone died of cancer, you may not always prevent the cancer from happening. Um, what you can do is hopefully catch it early before it has spread outside the breast and into other parts of your body when it's much more difficult to cure. I think in Suzette's case, she did know that her mother had developed breast cancer and she was on the lookout and doing all the things she was supposed to be doing. Um, but unfortunately, she still ended up developing breast cancer. There are things we can do to decrease our risk of developing breast cancer if you know you have a higher risk for it. Um, one of them is you might talk with your healthcare provider about risk reducing surgeries. Um, for instance, you can have the breasts removed, or you might consider removing your ovaries after you've given um, birth to children if that's something you would like to do, because there are certain changes that increase not just the risk of uh, breast cancer, but might increase your risk of uh, ovarian cancer as
1: well. There's one thing that Suzette touched on, um, I mean, That's that rings through, we always talk about. There's some cancers. In some groups, there are many cancers and in some groups that over the years we're seeing a worsening in outcomes or no change in outcomes. And Suzette just men- does mention it in terms of the risk of a Black woman dying from breast cancer when her mother died and 30 years later, the risk hadn't changed significantly. That's, that's mind-blowing.
0: So I, th- I think Suzette actually made a really good point that... It can be so unsatisfying sometimes for us as um, people who know people who have had cancer, as doctors taking care of individuals living with cancer. We want to see improvements much faster. And unfortunately, cancer is just a very complex disease. We can treat it and it seems like it's gone away, but then it comes back. So it has been much more difficult to tackle than we had ever imagined. And as Suzette mentioned, some of the statistics are not improving. For instance, we find that Black women used to have a lower risk of breast cancer than their white colleagues. Mm-hmm. But over the decades, the risk for breast cancer in Black women has actually increased and equaled that of their white colleagues. So there are many researchers out there trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And, and I think it's going to take all of us working together um, the researchers, the healthcare providers, and of course, um, survivors who keep pushing and asking government for more money to fund uh, this really important study so that we can get some answers that can lead to better screening, prevention, and treatment
1: options. Without a doubt, structural racism plays a significant role in here. There's no question about that. Access to good health care, access to screening opportunities, access to even green space, access to food choices, these things all contribute.
0: In the past two years, we've talked a lot about what are the factors that are um, impacting people's health. And as you said, uh, structural racism, right? Basically, your, your, your life, Factors in your life, aspects of your life being determined just by the color of your skin. For instance, the neighborhood that you live in, right? We know that Black people were more often um, made to live in uh, less desirable neighborhoods because of redlining policies whereby they were, you know, not able to purchase homes in certain districts or even approved for loans for homes in certain areas. So, and of course, maybe even if they went to those areas, they were driven out um, by angry neighbors, angry mobs. And unfortunately the neighborhoods that are um, more likely to be filled with people from black, Hispanic, you know, um, communities tend to have more pollution. And pollution is a risk factor for uh, all cancers, not just breast cancer. The other thing that we know is obesity, right? The the more fat content that you have in your body, especially around your midline, around your abdomen, your belly area, um, as you grow older, obesity increases your risk for breast cancer. Breast cancer is one of um, of the diseases You know, that is closely tied to obesity. And if you're living in an area where you have fewer food options, right? If you're living in an area where it's much harder for you to access fresh fruits and vegetables, and as you said, to have the space to walk around and exercise safely, you're more likely to be obese, which increases your risk of can- breast cancer. So all these things are, are tied together, and we have to, to work together um, to address them.
1: That said, I want to tie that in with another point that Suzette made, which is a lot of studies that have designed drugs or screening methods or identifying other risk factors in genetics have not included a proportionate amount of Black and underrepresented minorities. What this does is we know medicines may work differently in different groups. So when we're bringing a medicine to the market, when we're testing it, if you don't have the adequate amount of Black people in that study, you don't really get a sense of whether this works well for them or not. Same thing with women. If you have a study that's just men, you don't know how well it worked for women and on and on and on. In regards to genetics, we have learned a lot from genetics. We have acquired a lot of data about genetics that increase the risk factors of certain diseases and actually that also predict how people respond to treatment. But a lot of this study is a predominant number are non-Hispanic whites. And as such, we don't know how well that translates to other groups. It's important for us to always have a proportionate number of Black people, underrepresented minorities, in these studies. And it's something that the system should do a better job of. But as people, you can always pose that question to your doctor. Are there trials that would be appropriate for me? Are there trials that can be a part of?
0: Absolutely. I, you you hit the nail on the head and it's something I think you and I feel very strongly about that Black people represent 15 to 20 percent of the American population. And if you look at these clinical trials, they're lucky if they even hit five percent of Black participants. It should not be so. i Recall that we often talk about a recent drug that was approved for women with triple negative breast cancer, one of the more aggressive types of breast cancer. And on that trial, you should have, I I feel you should have had primarily Black women because Black and Hispanic women are most likely to get um, triple negative breast cancer. To my shock, there weren't even you know up to 10% of black women on that trial and
1: a later age, I absolutely don't
0: think that you need to rush out and have children if you're not ready to have them, but it's just something that people can be aware of. Also, the longer you have your period, if you undergo menopause at a later age, you know, people usually start undergoing menopause in their fifties. If you have more menstrual cycles in your life, um, let's say you start your period much earlier, nine years old, and you, you start, uh, start menopause much later than other people. Let's say you're mid fifties, you're nearly 60. You have a higher risk of, of developing breast cancer, but that's not something that you can control. The things that we've talked about, you know, um, or what we call modifiable risk factors are, you know, getting enough exercise, decreasing, um, uh, the amount of fat in your body, trying to eat a healthy uh, diet. Um, And the other uh, risk factor is having undergone radiation therapy at a young age. What I mean by young is less than 30 years old. So that's not as common a risk factor for people. But I just, we're here to inspire and educate And I'm a radiation oncologist, so I I just wanted to make sure that people know.
1: I do like that less than young number to be maybe 50.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As you get older, I know you want to believe you're you're still young, but it's less than 30.
1: So I'm going to touch on one more thing she talked about, and I'll pose a question to you, Oye. So one thing that she did mention is have your questions, but don't be your doctor. So engage in a conversation. You can research, you can do Google search to see what to learn more about your disease, about your treatment options, then discuss this with your doctor. So have those questions because it helps you be better informed about your options and and the management of this disease that affects your body. And I like that she did say, don't be your doctor, which is going with an open mind, but have these questions. Now, the question I have for you, on is there was a recommendation not too long ago that women should no longer do self-breast exams, which was a departure from the message that has been, for decades, encouraging strongly that women should do their monthly breast exams in addition to their clinical exams. What are your thoughts? That's
0: a great point for us to bring up. And I think that was a very controversial uh, opinion that was, or or that was a very controversial recommendation that was put forward. I believe many doctors will still encourage their patients to perform breast self exams because the harm that can come from that is not really significant. I can understand recommendations to not give an MRI to everyone because MRIs tend to see a lot of um, changes in the breast that ultimately are not cancer, but then you put people through a lot of, um, you know, sticking them with needles in order to try and sample the breast tissue that was unnecessary. But a breast self-exam is just a way for a woman to, on a monthly basis, check the health of her breasts. Become familiar with what's normal for your breasts. If you are a young woman, choose a date once a month. Ideally, after your menstrual cycle has ended, so that you can check your breasts and get familiar with what's normal for me. So that if one day you feel something abnormal, hopefully that can um, translate into having found the cancer earlier um, than if you had no idea what was happening in your own body. The only people I would say maybe to avoid a breast self-exam is if it causes you so much anxiety for whatever reason, that it's crippling and you just can't do it. But I think even though that recommendation was put out there and people were skeptical um, that breast self exams do anything, I don't do anything in terms of finding cancer earlier or saving lives. I hear from so many people who detected their own breast cancer that I still firmly feel that women should still check their breasts once a month.
1: I agree. That makes sense. There's yeah. there's more to be gained by self-breast exam than risk.
0: So we thank Suzette so much for her advocacy, for turning her personal trials into an opportunity to help others.
1: Using humor.
0: It, 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 using humor
1: to do this. Using
0: humor, she has a very unique sense of humor. She's a phenomenal person, and, and we are fortunate to have her in this um, in this movement to make sure that there's excellent breast breast cancer care for all women. You can find Suzette on Instagram at strongblackboobs. Again, that's Strong Black Boobs, and her website goes by the same name, StrongBlackBoobs.com. For more information about our podcasts, visit our website, www.theoncdocs.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple. And if you like what you hear, please give us a review on
1: Apple. This podcast was produced by Steve A. Williams. Again, I am Dr. Finifulu Balogun.
0: And I am Dr. Onyine Balogun. And And we we are are the Ankdas.